0: Please turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. If you are in gray school, yes, I will be preaching my homework. Um, And no, yeah, cheater. And no, Todd did not ask me to do this. Okay. But as for you, speak to things which are proper for sound doctrine. That the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women likewise, that they may be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given too much wine, teachers of good things. That they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Exhort bond servants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back. Not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed, And purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Let's pray. Father, we just um, are so thankful that we get to come before you to worship you, um, to honor you, and to glorify you. Thank you for the work that you have done in our lives, our, our, our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Father, we just pray that you would be with us, that your spirit would be with us Um, as we study your word, as we dig into your word. Lord, we just um, ask that you would apply the truths of your scriptures to our hearts so that we may not only be hearers, but doers also. And pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to make a very obvious statement and say that the Christian life or the Christian faith is like a lot of things. Um, but particularly here, I'm going to say that it's like being a homeless person that's been adopted off the street and put into a mansion. Um, once we, when we were, um, unfortunately, like this little child, running around in the street, soiled, looking for something to eat, maybe dumpster diving if we had to, in one sense, to... Uh, feed ourselves and just living off the, the whims of our emotions and our feelings and our lusts and our desires and not really submitting ourselves to any structure or authority. But here we are now adopted into this mansion and now we have to learn structure. We have to learn um, how to behave not as one living on the streets fulfilling our own desires, but one who has to learn how to live with a mom and dad now, uh, brothers and sisters, Um, learn what it's like to not have to go into the garbage for food, but um, be comfortable and confident enough that we can open up the fridge and take what is provided to us. That's kind of what's going on in uh, chapter 2 here. The first 10 verses, we have... Um, Paul giving instruction to uh, Titus and to his church on um, how they ought to be now. The, the quote-unquote good works that they should be doing and should be adoring, adorning, as chapter or verse 10 says. Um, but we're going to look at verses 11 through 14 because this is the foundation of that adorning. This is... The, the the reason why, if you're at uh, Sunday school, this is the oomph that uh, Tyler was referencing here. And we're going to see that two things. We're going to notice, uh, for when it talks about the grace of God, that it does two things in our lives. It transforms us and it empowers us to, uh, to live. Now... We see in verse 11 here, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. And this begins the transforming grace of God in our lives. We see that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Now before we unpack that, I suppose we need to ask, um, or talk about the setting. And we've talked about that through the songs that we've sang through Matt's introduction of the songs. And that setting is that we live in a fallen and corrupt world, that sin ha- that the sin that Adam brought in has plunged us into darkness. If you recall Todd preaching, he, he's, he's mentioned a few times that when Christ came, he's, it seems like he's flipping the world upside down, but he's actually flipping the world right side up because sin actually flipped this world upside down and so there's this darkness that we just sang about and this um, um, uh, corruptibility this corruption that's going on in this this um, not just morally but it's just overall unholy and opposed to God we are sinners we have a sinful nature and where we deny God and we live in the lust of our own passions. We, we look at all that is good. And even if it is good and it's intended for good, we take it and we abuse it. And so in this, in this setting of, of unholiness and darkness and hopelessness, um, I'm sorry, but I keep getting, we, we've been watching The Chosen and I keep seeing Jesus coming down, in that show, and and like all these people have problems. We 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 heard about the problem that Ed brought up about this kid, and soiled, um, running around the streets, and that's part of the sin, uh, world, fallen world that we live in. We understand that relationships are broken, and that um, we're struggling to maintain marriages and friendships. And just different relationships. And that's part of the fallen, broken world. And then there's other sins that might just personally affect us. Um, you can just look at the Ten Commandments and base, see how you're, well you're doing all of that if you want. But in the midst of all of that, the grace of God that it brings salvation has appeared to all men. Or it should be all kinds of men. And this appearing, as we learned... In grade school, not everyone here. Um, that this is where we get the word, our word for epiphany. That, that the divine has manifested into this world. That the light, um, this word is used in Acts elsewhere where it talks about celestial bodies being light, shining forth into darkness. And that's what Jesus is, has done when he appeared. Um, he, he came and he shined forth into a darkness. He was the light that, was come, that, that came to, to bring light onto all this darkness here. And it was all by the grace of God. It was self-originating, it was self-motivating, self-sacrificing, a blessing that we did not deserve. And we find all of that wrapped up in Jesus, in the entirety of Jesus we see that, that the God taking the form of man and becoming a servant and, and, and being obedient, uh, um, obedient to the point of death on the cross. And in that, um, but it was so much more than just his obedience. It was the hope that he brought into a world that had no hope. It's the mercy that he had on folks that never had mercy. It's the, the kindness that he brought to um, an unkind and, um, to an unkind world that is more bent on self-preservation, it seems, than it does on um, this uh, grand um, kindness. But he also was our propitiation. He turned the wrath of God away from us. He, he, he was our atoning death. He was our, he was our substitutionary atonement that the blood that he shed would, would cleanse us and would um, 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 and purify us. And we're going to talk more about that later. And he, and he did things that um, didn't seem logical. Like the good and perfect God, the holy God, would come down into the creation that he made, the source of life would sacrifice himself, that he would die, that he who knew no sin would become sin for us so that we might be in the righteousness of Christ. So he laid his life down. And the, but that didn't stop there. He gave us new life. He gave us a resurrected life. He gave us a new nature and a new heart. The old has passed away, and behold, the new is here. We're no longer the people that we once were. Going through the Sunday school, that's regeneration. He, he's taken us from sin and death and put us in the grace and life of Jesus Christ. We're found in Christ. He's, he's given us, he's taken this um, The selfishness, this This chasing after our own desires and our own lusts. And he's given us a new desire for good. To come and worship him. To be thankful. To want to honor him and glorify him in all that we do. And these are all the things that he brought when he appeared. And that he continues to met out to us. But he didn't just change us and let us run ragged he, and run rampant based off the knowledge that we had beforehand. No, he, the grace of God came, it appeared, bringing salvation, and then teaching us. What are we to do with this salvation? How are we to be with this salvation? What does it mean to have this salvation? Well, it says in verse 12, Denying ungodliness and worldly lusts so that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. He transformed our nature, and now he's transforming our behavior. He's correcting us. That, that word, that, that word um, training us means to instruct, to, to train, to correct. Um, it's like, well, we're the adopted kid that he's raising, Right? He's telling us, no, you don't have to go into the dumpster anymore. You don't have to go into the garbage. Go into the cupboards. Uh, Eat that can of soup. He he would actually probably tell us to eat something a little bit more healthy, like the apple or the banana that's sitting on the counter. But he's training us and helping us to live the way we should live according to the salvation that he has brought forth to us here. Um, and the reason for this is to bring us to maturity. To, to um, The word means to bring us to our full potential so that we're no longer, um, as Daniel read in that um, Corinthians passage, thinking like children, but thinking more maturely, more soberly, more... Um, uh, uh, um, proper to who we are now. And I mean, well, correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm just basing this off my past, but there's a lot of things that my mom had to do to uh, teach me in order to be um, as civil as I turned out to be. And that's only because I rejected a lot of things, okay? But, so like she, she taught me that I had to be respectful to adults and to other people. That wasn't my nature. My nature was, um, well, to be disrespectful. I just, it didn't matter to me. I, if I didn't know you, it didn't mean, or even if I didn't know you, it didn't mean I had to be respectful to you. But she taught that in me, that I had to be respectful. I, she taught me that not to interrupt when people are talking to wait my turn, or to excuse myself. Um, she taught me how to not be a jerk to my brother. Being the older brother and seeing him as a, um, no different than a G.I. Joe sometimes, it didn't always work out well for him. However, my mom trained me and corrected me when I needed to be so that I could become a fully functioning um, human adult in this world and not a sociopath and that's what's happening here and the two things that the grace of God is teaching us and transforming within us is that we're denying ungodliness and worldly lusts we're refusing and we're forsaking and we're not affirming ungodliness and worldly lusts And I think the best way to identify what these two things mean or to understand these things, I will use two other words, idolatry and immorality. When we are, when he says, when Paul says to deny ungodliness, he's saying stop placing yourself as an idol in your life. Now, I know people, we talk about how we can make anything an idol, and it's true, but ultimately, at the root of all of that is that we've placed ourselves as the, the 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 God of our lives. For instance, I absolutely loathe the phone. I don't like my smartphone. I hate it. I think inherently, I think it's good. There's nothing wrong with it, but it, when I look at it, and when I see others with it out in Society and when we're supposed to be socially engaged, I see people on their phone. And the problem with that is, is that they've already decided that they're uninterested in what's happening around them. They don't care about the relationships that's around them. They need their, um, because they've set themselves as the king of their world, their interests, their hobbies. There, everything needs to be satisfied. See, ungodliness leads to worldly lust, but we're still stuck in the idolatry stuff. And so I just wish that, like, and I try, and this is where I need to temper myself. I know people use the digital um, Bible, and that's fine, and that's good for you. And, and I, I'm supposed to, and for me, I just need to mind my own business and be here. But like when I'm at parties or dinners and whenever, anytime there's a law, instead of trying, instead of working on that law and, 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 and building relationship, everyone pulls out their phones. They're on Twitter or to see if their tweet has been acknowledged by someone who doesn't matter, who, who doesn't even know they exist. It just somehow popped up. Or maybe they're on TikTok and trying to be amused with what, how funny or how cool someone else is. Or maybe they're just wanting to see how many likes they got on their pictures. No matter what it is, they've put themselves at the center of their life. God is not their God. They are their God. They're seeking to please themselves and not honoring God who is relational, who is developing a relationship. Well, it's not developing. Maybe it's developing. I don't know. That's a whole other story. But between him, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, there's a relationship that is within each other and active within each other and and loving one each, each other. So we need to deny the idolatry of putting ourselves. And this... It's not just phones. It could be work. We could put work above our family and say, you know what, that that job, it really supplies for my family. But when there's a spatial distance between you and your family because of work, maybe you need to change your lifestyle so that you can find another job that doesn't require you to be away from home so much, to be away from the wife and the kids so much. And it could be in other things, hobbies and whatnot. But really, all it comes down to is your place in yourself, and I do this too, as the king of my life, our lives, and that is what ungodliness is. And that leads to worldly lust, an immorality, putting our desires on things that we should not have desires on. There was this, I'm really bad at this. We just sang a song about this, about finding our joy in things that are going to be destroyed and the temporary things, or, or finding, um, putting our hope and all that stuff on things of this world and not on God, and that's what it is, and that's what this, in this worldly lust is. This, whatever our, our sinful desire catches upon, uh, we go after it. And we, and we want to fulfill ourselves within it. And this can happen with something as beautiful as love. Right? Love is a great thing. God is love. And, and he loves us. And he's given us the capacity to love. But if we feel, we, 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 we put our, all our desire and our hope and our joy in feeling loved, and we twist it, And we make it so that it's everything. And then then we put ourselves in relationships that we shouldn't be in. Relationships that would uh, abuse us, um, whether mentally, emotionally, or sexually. And and then we start living outside the realm of what God has ordained and what he said is good. And And we keep seeking after that to fulfill our own desires. Pleasing ourselves instead of pleasing God. But because of our transformed nature, we can deny ungodliness and we can deny worldly lust. We can forsake all that stuff and say no to that stuff and to live righteously, soberly, and godly because he's given us a new nature and a new desire. And so Paul encourages us through this work that we can do it and that we should do it. In verse 12, we should live soberly. We should live with a self-controlled and sensible mind, not intoxicated by the influences of the world, not intoxicated, I think uh, uh, Daniel brought this up, not intoxicated by politics or media or apps or anything else, but being influenced and, and just having a clarity of mind, a soberness of mind, on on God and on the word of God because like ungodliness leads to worldly lust thinking soberly will lead us to live righteously to be upright and just before people to walk and live like Christ in this world if we if we kind of push out all those other voices in the world and only listen to the voice of God in our lives from the Holy Spirit, the scriptures, we're going to understand that the, the, the way we treat people is going to be drastically different. And, and this has been very, very evident over the past few years where we, we were very sarcastic and mean to people that, that have a different socio-political viewpoint when Christ wouldn't do that, would he? He, 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 came, he came at the religious leaders that were twisting his truth, but how did he treat other sinners? That's a rhetorical question. You can think about that. But we should always, I mean, the, our living righteously. And and again, we'll talk about this a little bit later. Um, We should love, we're supposed to love everyone. It's easy to love the people that are related to us, that we're friends with. It's almost, it's easy, maybe a little bit less easy or just as easy to love a stranger. But it's hard to love an enemy. But we're not called to anything less than that. We're called to that to love our enemies and to love people who frustrate us and and irritate us, to to love people who um, might come against us, persecute us, and want to oppress us. But that's okay. Why? Because God says that we should love them and that we should love them. And this is all based on living godly. Having a reverence for God, having the, to basically saying, God, I, you, you, exist, you exist, you're real, and you're everything, and I'm gonna do all that you have empowered me to do. Now we have, so we can deny ungodliness. We cannot deny worldly lust, but we have to replace it with living soberly and living righteously and living godly. We can't just leave that um, hole empty. We have to fill it with the things that, um, that, that God would want us to fill, or else we're going to fall back into it. We're going to neglect uh, how to live, and, and, and we're going to affirm and receive what we are to deny. And this is a, a transformative process that we're going through, right? Um, like there was this definite, um, if you want to call it sanctification, where he set us aside, but then now this is the, the metting out, the working out of the, the, this, um, uh, how, how we should live. This is the progressive sanctification in our lives, if you want to use those terms. But we shouldn't do this with dread and and, uh, a fatality. We should do this with hope. And we see that hope in verses 13 and 14. And that hope actually empowers us to be able to do these things. Now, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. So we have a future and we have a past. And we're looking at the future kind of like a dog. I'm not a big dog fan, um, but one thing that dogs do that I really appreciate is that they make you feel loved Um, or they tell you that they think you're suspect. So when I go to my brother's house um, and I, as, as soon as I get out of my car, I shut the door. I can hear his dogs barking their heads off. I swear they know it's me because they're just, and I'm just like, oh. But when I'm at the house and my brother comes to the house or his wife comes to the house or one of their kids come to the house and their door's shut, they're not barking. They're, they're, if they're just laying down chilling, they're, they're, they go, wait, who, whose door? Was that, was that Will's door? Was that Jacob's door? Wait, are they home? And then they get all excited and they start running around, and their tails just like go crazy, and then and they're like, <laughs> and then they go out, look out the window, and they're like, oh, it is him, it is him. And then they start running around again, and then they're just hooping and hollering at the door. Well, that's the way we should be looking towards um christ in in verse 13 that anticipation that expecting of the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great god and savior jesus christ there should be this excitement this vitality and this joy i'm not saying we need to be running around barking and and running in circles and having wagging tails but that's what we should constantly be stirred up within us this future look that our God is coming back and he's not coming back as a baby. We have this blessed hope or this happy confidence that he will return in this, in this glorious appearing where, where um, um, this, this beautiful and awe-inspiring image of our great God, our magnificent God, our, our big and powerful and mighty and holy and loving God returns as king And he looks at us, and when, we, and, 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 and when he's coming, and, and we're, we're like a dog at his feet. We're excited that he's here. We're, we, we're, we're just full of joy and, and life that, oh, my gosh, he's here now. But this is the, 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 how we should always be. When, another chosen reference, I'm sorry. Um, you should watch it. It's really great. We we watched the the wedding at Cana, and yes, it's an artistic rendition, um, but it made me think about the, the actual Jesus, the real Jesus, the the kind Jesus, the Jesus that would hang out and play with the kids, the one who who said don't 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 keep them from me, let them come to me, the one who would go to um, sinners and and say, follow me, the one who would help those who need help, um, and it just made me wish that I wasn't here, that I, that that I was with him now. This this I, I was just I'm anticipating the time that um, I get to be with him, where where I'm just with the kindest, most merciful, most gracious, most loving. Most holy person in the whole world, in all of eternity, this 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 the, the, the the fullness of God, the Father, Son, and Spirit, and knowing that He wants only the best for me, and so He's given me all of Himself, and that at at some point I get to be in that presence. And there won't be any of my the, the the sin. There'll be no sin. There'll be no spatial um, distance. That will be. will we'll, we'll, I'll be in His glorious presence, and in His light. And that's such a great hope and encouragement for. All the quote unquote storms and trials that will come through our way. And, and that's that's the hope and encouragement when when we see wars breaking out and, and gas prices going up. And that's the hope and the encouragement when we have loved ones who pass on. And we can look to the future with that anticipatory hope because of what he did for us in the past. He already gave himself. He came and he laid his life down. He bought us from uh, the power of sin. He liberated us from the bondage of of sin. He brought us freedom so that we can deny ungodliness and, and that we can deny worldly lusts. We're no longer under the power of sin. But not only that, he's purified us He's freed us from the guilt of sin. We're, we're washed, we're cleansed, we're, we're, we're made new. And, and later on in Titus, he talks about how um, we were in verse three, chapter 3, verse 5. Paul says, the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. We got this great spiritual reset in our lives to where none of the things that we once were are anymore, but we are new. I it's. I remember playing video games, well, one particular, Super Mario Brothers, um, and in one of them, you started out with, I think, like three lives. It, it, it doesn't matter how many lives you start out, but you start with like three lives, and then you have the three attempts to, to complete the game. But there's things along the way that you can add up more lives. You can have more lives, and then if you had a secret code, um, it didn't matter if you died because you had an infinite amount of lives. Um, but every time you died in that video game, you came back as if the first round never mattered. And that's what we have here. We, the, the first round of our lives, as it were, it, it doesn't matter in one sense. He's brought us, he's washed us, he's purified us, he's freed us from the bondage of sin, and and then we're on our second life. We've been born again. We've been um, made new here. We're a new creation, a new creature. We're not bound to what we used to be bound to. And we have that now. And Paul's telling us that we have this ability because of these things To deny ungodliness and worldliness and to live soberly and righteously and godly. And that's why we're here, right? Because there was a time in our lives when we wouldn't have been caught dead in anything like this. Worshiping God, hearing his word, and praying to God. But now we're on our reset life, our new life. And we're here, worshiping him. Glorifying him, coming to him with our problems, coming to him with adoration. Coming to him with love, and he does this. It appears for a certain reason, and a a really awesome reason. Purify for himself his own special people, and this just takes me back to the Old Testament where he was talking about Israel and saying that this is the special his special treasure. He would make them the special treasure, where he would delight in. In, in these people, where, where the cost that Christ paid for us makes us his special people, his special treasure, this thing that, this, this grouping of people that he loves and delights in and, and, and wants to bring to that maturity and to the fullness of the potential. He didn't save us so that we could continue to rot in our sin, that it would come back again, that we'd just be thrown back into the dumpster. No, he wanted us to, to experience all the goodness of himself and all the kindness and of the love of himself. And this makes us zealous for good works. And if you remember what Todd said, it's better structured that we are good works zealots. We have this enthusiasm and this excitement to do good, to do good for God and to do good for other people. But then you're going to ask me, well, what are the good works? And I guess this is the application part. And um, I'm asking you to bear with me, because I I believe that the first good work is that we have to believe. Now you're probably thinking, wait a minute, Chris, faith is a gift. It's not a work. Well, it's a gift that we have to exercise. I'm sure that um, at one point someone was gifted a hammer, but that hammer is useless if it just sits in the box that it, I don't know if hammers come in boxes, but in the gift box. Okay, it needs to be taken out and used, and actually for it to be um, to be used for what it's worth. Now I've never seen uh, God give a hammer to someone and it just moves. It, it probably did happen. It only happened one time in the 33 years that Christ was on earth. But outside of that, he doesn't use the hammer for us. We have to use that hammer. We have to exercise our faith. And so in that sense, it is a work. I mean, if you look at John 6, 28 and through 29, um, or 20, probably starting 27, um Jesus is asked, or Jesus is telling folks, do not labor, do not work for the food that perishes, but for that which doesn't perish. And then the people ask him, Well, what is the work? And he says that the work is to believe on him, believe on the one that the Father has sent. And John reiterates this in his in his um, epistle in, in chapter three, when he says that this is the work of God, to believe on him and to love one another. And so we must believe. We must believe in Jesus Christ. We must put our faith and trust in him. That's the first work that we must do. And coming from that, we must believe that we are transformed, that we are empowered, that he has come into our lives, that he has changed us, that he has um, gave us a new nature and a new um, heart. Because without him doing those things, we won't be able to believe in him who came. And the second thing I already mentioned out of John, First John, to love one another, we are to love. That is our work. Uh, in John fifteen, when he's talking about uh, abiding abiding in Christ, he says in um, verses twelve to thirteen. Therefore, this is the new commandment I give you, that you love one another. You're Going on to say, greater love knows, uh, n- 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 greater love knows none of this, that a man should lay down his life for his friends. So there's a sacrificial love that we must have and that we must do. It's a commandment. The the believing and the loving, they must be active. They must come from someplace and they must be worked out and exercised and be active. They must be applied and done. First, and Peter says this in his, in, his, in his epistle when he says, have fervent love for one another. Um, and then follows that up with, uh, for um, love covers a multitude of sins. And he's referencing Proverbs 10 when it says, hatred stirs up strife. Hatred stirs up discord and, and quarrels, and, and, but it's love that covers all sins, it says. And so we are to love God and love others as we love ourselves, as Jesus broke it down into. And what that looks like is what Daniel read for us this morning in 1 Corinthians 13. Love suffers long. Everything that comes against us, at us, we're patient with. We endure. And love is kind. Love isn't mean. It's not nasty. It's not critical. It's kind and it's encouraging. It doesn't envy. It doesn't parade itself. It's not puffed up. It doesn't behave rudely. It doesn't seek its own. It's not provoked and thinks no evil. Doesn't rejoice in iniquity and rejoices in truth, and this is one that I try to. This is one that I try to live by. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Everything, all of life, we're going to have to do. Verse seven of First Corinthians thirteen. We have to bear it, and especially with one another. Because we're all growing in sanctification. We're all growing in holiness. And that's going to be ugly and messy and not fun. And it's going to be sometimes frustrating, sometimes hurtful. But we have to bear and believe that God is working in that person. And we have to hope and pray and, and endure with, with each other. We have to have a fervent love for one another so that the multitude of sins could be covered. And love never fails. And I'm so thankful for that because if love did fail, then I would not know the grace of God transforming my life or empowering me to be able to walk the way that Christ walked. The Father wouldn't have called me. The Son wouldn't have died for me. The Holy Spirit wouldn't have dwelled within me. There'd be no believing. There'd be no loving. But by His grace, it happened. And I'm so thankful for that. And this is the place to start, I think. This believing and this loving. Um... Christ brought us a great and beautiful hope and a great and beautiful encouragement that we are not the person that we used to be, but that we are a new creation and that we can follow after him. Not perfectly, but we can follow after him. So when we fall, we turn to him, believing that he's transformed us, believing that he's empowered us, and then we keep going. We have to live on hope. If you've noticed, um, there's not one word in here about um, the law or the commandments. So I wondered. I brought in the commandment of love. How does that work? But But it's all about grace. And we have to have grace for one another. And we have to Exercise that grace daily, minutely. That's why I love. I actually love when babies start blaring off. The moms don't, but I do. Because it reminds me of um, the fact that God is working in someone's life here. That the mothers came here and he's working in their lives. And it's presenting an opportunity for these children to hear the gospel and to hear about Jesus Christ. And a hope that this world doesn't have. And it works within my life. And this is where the bearing all things and love covering the multitude of sins. Because I could easily slip into any sin that anyone has. When someone's gossiping, I know that I could easily slip into that. When someone's, someone's puffing themselves up, I know I can slip into that. When someone's struggling with a sexual sin or anger or stealing or anything, I know I can fall into those sins because my sinful nature has a propensity to want to put myself back into the, the, the throne of Christ. But by the grace of God, it's always God. He reminds me that He is at the center of my life and that He has given me everything that I need. All the inheritance that I need is found in Christ. And it's on that uh, transformative, empowering grace that helps me to fight off the sin in my lives. And I hope that um, these words would just be edifying to you, that you would come back to this text and see see how it's worked out and seeing the reality of grace working in our lives. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful for you. We are. Oh, we are like a dog, aren't we? Um, that you've you've brought home, and we do we are excited about the work that you've done in our lives, and about the the um. Your coming back, Lord, the 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 blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, Lord. We long for that. Um, I'm so glad that you are here to know how difficult it is. To be here on a daily basis, and I'm glad that you've given us your Holy Spirit and the grace to to move through everything that we deal with, whether it's sickness, whether it's um, uh, 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 our friendships being, um, our relationships being broken, or or our, just our sin, the, the different sins that we deal with. We're so thankful, Lord, that it is you who. Um, Helps us through those, and that you know about that. Oh Lord Jesus, we just pray that as we um, come to this to your table here, that you would meet us, and that you would give us the grace that you would renew us to 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 continue to live for you, to glorify you in our lives, and, and to to just um, worship you more through that. And we pray in Christ's name, Amen.